0: Welcome to Jerusalem Unplugged, the podcast dedicated to Jerusalem, its history and its people. I'm your host, Roberto Mazza, and today my guest is uh, Dr. Gabriel Pauly. Gabriel just completed his PhD at the University of Exeter in 2020, focusing on Palestine in travel, uh, I would say British travel literature. But more importantly, Gabriel is also the DACA award-winning recipient uh, of a Jerusalem Quarterly with the article Jerusalem Through Evangelical Eyes, 19th Century Western Encounters with Palestinian Christianity. Gabriel, welcome.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So the first question, and which I never change, it's, Gabriel, what is your Jerusalem? In other words, what is your connection with the city? Um...
1: Well, uh, I just completed my PhD, I'd like to, to say, first of all, um, in Palestine studies at the University of Exeter, um, supervised by uh, Professor Ilan Pape, who I'm sure many of your listeners will know of. Um, and uh, I mean, I did, I did look at Jerusalem a great deal in my work, uh, but of course, I have been uh, lucky enough to visit Jerusalem uh, several times. It's uh, it's a, it's obviously a wonderful city. Um, it's a, a place of great uh, suffering and uh, tragedy uh, in recent years, um, as well as uh, a very rich history and um, an endlessly fascinating subject for our research.
0: Let me start with your award-winning article because I, I found it fascinating that you're talking about uh, the representation of jerusalem so in other words you're not necessarily talking about the real city but how the city was imagined by others and in this case the others are evangelicals in the 19th century how did they see jerusalem what did they want to see and what did they didn't want to see in the city
1: yeah well um of course i think i'd like to start off uh, by giving a little bit of background um of course uh, jerusalem and uh, palestine the holy land um in general has been um, a site of pilgrimage uh, of visitation for uh centuries and, and millennia um and in fact ever since the first kind of christian pilgrims Um, Of course, there's also a very rich uh, Islamic and Jewish pilgrimage literature, but um, I've been focusing on specifically British Christians, um, and to a lesser extent, American Christians, evangelical Protestants. But uh, ever since the first kind of pilgrims, Christian pilgrims, started going to uh, Jerusalem in the kind of second and third centuries, they've been leaving uh, their accounts of the city and obviously they see the city through um, an outsider's eyes and so we get a picture as you say we don't really get an accurate picture of uh, the city itself and its uh, social life and an experience of of living in the city but more the experience of someone who has come to uh, jerusalem for a specific purpose um, with a, a particular ideology from a particular background Um, and the Jerusalem that they wanted to see so to move things forward a little bit uh, my research looked at uh, evangelical protestants in the 19th century um, mainly British as I said but also some Americans uh, some very important American travelers as well uh, who came to Palestine as part of a phenomenon called the peaceful crusade uh, which really ran from um, the kind of um, early to mid-19th century, maybe the 1830s, and um, the rule of um, Muhammad Ali and Ibrahim Pasha um, across Palestine and greater Syria, until uh, the First World War, uh, when, you know, this this travel ceased um, because of uh, Britain's involvement against the Ottoman Empire. Uh, but between th- those kind of periods, um, there was a huge amount of travel um, by and large of uh, evangelical christians um, who wanted to see the holy land uh, they saw palestine and jerusalem through uh, very orientalist eyes uh, i'm sure i don't really need to to explain that ideology to to a great extent but um they uh, there was really a mismatch between The kind of values that they thought Jerusalem should represent um, in their Protestant interpretation of Christianity, of the Bible, um, of Christian ethics and the actual living city that they found. And this uh, is a literature of um, of disappointment, of repulsion uh, and also a kind of colonial desire to possess and reshape, I would say.
0: You have a fascinating quote in your paper by Charles Biggs, who is an Anglican chaplain in Jerusalem in the late uh, uh, 19th century, He says uh, people often say they are disappointed in Jerusalem. They are disappointed not because Jerusalem is what it is, it's because it does not correspond with what they had trained themselves to expect, which I found fascinating, like people moved uh, with some expectations uh, to Jerusalem just to visit. And you mentioned that, but I was wondering if you have anything to add about it. I mean, what what is that they really wanted to find? Was that spirituality, a building, a connection with God? When these British travelers, which I suppose were fairly wealthy because the, the tickets were expensive, they went to Palestine and particularly to Jerusalem. What is that they were really trying to find?
1: Um, yeah, for, well, for a start, you're definitely uh, correct to say that these were um, middle and upper class um, travellers um, and very often I would like to say um, they, they also wrote down their experiences, that's why uh, we have such a huge um, kind of body of evidence for their views. Because it was uh, very fashionable to um, not only go to Palestine, but also to uh, write down your your thoughts and your experiences, everything you saw um, and publish that account. So there is there's a truly vast um, quantity of this literature, which is um, by and large, very similar, I would say Uh, it's um, the views expressed in it are, are within a kind of quite narrow range. Although there are some outliers, which are also quite significant. Um, I um, I think your question about do they come to find spirituality? Um, I would say no, because they did not see themselves so much as pilgrims. Um, and there's an important line to be drawn between pilgrimage, which is um, a much stronger idea in um, other denominations like uh, Catholic and Orthodox and um, many other denominations which have all sent their pilgrims to Jerusalem over the centuries. And this kind of idea that evangelicals had um, of going to kind of witness and observe um, and in a kind of mission to, I think, prove their um, interpretation of the, the scriptures. Um, against science, against um, Islam and uh, atheism and kind of enlightenment values. But they were very much um, trying to go to Palestine with with a mission of proving uh, their interpretation of the scriptures. Um, as for what they kind of wanted to find, um, and uh, as you say, uh, that quote from Biggs there, the kind of Jerusalem that they expected to find, uh, was very much... Um, a mental image of the Jerusalem as it existed in um, the Old and New Testament times. I mean, not even necessarily as it existed, because we don't know many things about how it was at that time. It it was their image that they had uh, derived from other texts of previous travelers, um, sources such as uh, Josephus, the first uh, century um jewish historian of jerusalem the bible itself and popular prints and stained glass windows and hymns and kind of sermons um which were such a fundamental part of protestant culture they had an image of a very large city a very well-built city um basically on western lines on, on western grounds um and it was really not like the uh, the Palestinian city that they found um, which has obviously been shaped by, uh, deeply shaped by Islam, shaped by um, Orthodox and Catholic and other denominations of Christianity um, and by um, the Jewish residents who also didn't look like the kind of Jews that uh, evangelicals wanted to find either in Palestine. So they found a city um, which was really, I mean, kind of like a normal Palestinian city, obviously, with its uh, specific features. But, um, you know, an an Arab city uh, under Ottoman Islamic control um, where people were living their ordinary daily lives. um, And it was not this kind of New Testament era fantasy that they had and that they wanted to find and that they believed Jerusalem should be
0: this idea of how Jerusalem should be, because it's still a valid principle for many in the 21st century, particularly now across the pond where American Christian Zionists still have this idea of what Jerusalem should look like. And despite the fact they travel in large numbers, they sometimes avoid to visit certain parts of the city in order to keep that image, which I, I found troubling, but also fascinating at the same time, because this is about the process of exclusion of actually what Jerusalem is. I have one question. I really wanna move to talk about uh, how these these evangelicals saw certain aspects of the city, but I think it's important for the listeners to understand who are these people and how they actually related with Christianity in general, and particularly uh, with Christianity in Palestine. So what, what do they believe uh i don't want to engage with you in a, in a you know in a question about theology but just to get a sense of what are their beliefs and particularly what is their relationship with local christianity
1: uh, okay um so i think i would just very briefly like to talk about uh, the kind of theology um and go back to uh, the 17th century. Uh, I mean, obviously these are the kind of early days of Protestantism, um, the 16th and and 17th century when Protestantism really founded. Um, And then you have the Puritan period um, in the 17th century when um, there was really a kind of, um, I mean, it's been called the Hebraic Revival. um, And that's a kind of um, obsession with the Old Testament in particular, The kind of morals and values of the old testament Um, and also an obsession with the jewish people again um, not as the jewish people actually were but uh, ideas about the future of the jewish people uh, whether they would be converted to christianity whether they would uh, return en masse to palestine and jerusalem to create um, a new a new palestine which are um, obviously ideas that um, are still current among um, Christian Zionists, um, some evangelicals, uh, particularly in America. But these ideas started in, in England with the, um, the Puritan uh, kind of revolution in the 17th century, um, and then very much um, explode again in the uh, 19th century with the, the evangelical movement. I mean, a, a, a great part of that was a kind of uh, supremacist attitude um, and a quite um, exclusionary uh, belief towards other, other denominations. Uh, this was all wrapped up with uh, you know, rivalry. So there, there's rivalry with uh, Catholic Europe, um, particularly France. There's uh, the British imperial rivalry with Russia as well, uh, which is obviously the, the kind of great orthodox power in Europe. So Protestants were very particular about their own interpretation of Christianity—a very austere, um, kind of anesthetic, I would say, um, plain—and and they would characterize it as spiritual, and they would characterize um, anything else, like uh, you know statues or icons or pilgrimage practices, as being non-spiritual, as as being something kind of bodily. Um, And they they would call it corrupt, uh, you know, corrupted Christianity. They would see their own brand of Christianity as the only true form of Christianity that was acceptable. And some of these travelers uh, who I looked at were quite open in uh, saying that um, Orthodox, Catholic, Armenian, Ethiopian, uh, you know they're, they're not real Christians. Uh, they are you know they're guilty of heathenism, you know, just as much as uh, you know any any other non-Christian group. So they were were very um, extreme in their interpretation of the religion. Um, they came with a kind of colonial mindset, I would say, of their own supremacy um, and their own a missionary mindset as well. Um, very, very particular in the, in the way that they approach Christianity.
0: I'm fascinated by the ways in which uh, evangelicals look at uh, uh, other denominations, and in particular, how that translates also in uh, actions and obviously writing and criticism. There is this famous example of the Holy Fire where, uh, you know, it's a, it's a Greek Orthodox tradition where you know, for those of us uh, that have been uh, witnessing that or certainly aware of that is uh, some sort of a magic uh, tradition, religion, uh, but also compelling and I would say emotional where you have thousands of people on Easter Sunday getting closer to the uh, Holy Sepulchre and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you have this fire uh, coming out of uh, the site where allegedly Jesus was uh, uh, deposed after his death and resurrected. And, you know, you have the spreading of a fire. As I said, I I understand a lot of people have different views and opinions, but it's certainly very moving. But the evangelicals, on the other hand, have a very different view about it. And they, they don't like it. Uh, Can you tell us about uh, how they reacted to all of the local customs, particularly the the olive fire?
1: Um, I would see, I would see such uh, ceremonies as, um, I mean, the holy fire is for sure the most significant. Um, but there are others and um, also uh, Christian sites in Bethlehem, uh, in Nazareth, um, in, in many other places around uh, Palestine, which um, are of great importance um, to uh, indigenous Palestinian Christians um and also to uh non-protestant pilgrims um particularly in the 19th and uh, early 20th until the russian revolution uh, stopped stopped it but uh, there were huge amounts of russian orthodox pilgrims who would come uh, and in fact uh, i think of all the bodies of travelers to palestine in the 19th century the largest was uh, these russian orthodox pilgrims they came in huge numbers and they they um were often viewed by these, uh, the travellers, Protestant travellers as like their kind of polar opposite. Everything they measured themselves against, everything they weren't um, with this kind of um, the pilgrimage um, paradigm, as opposed to this kind of pseudo-scientific, pseudo-rational, um, actually kind of um, literalist biblical uh, interpretation that Protestants had. But yeah, of course, obviously, um, the indigenous Palestinians as well. These are greatly important ceremonies and part of their identity um, and um, rituals that have been carried out for many centuries. Uh, and as you say, uh, it's a kind of miraculous, you know, whether you believe in the miracle or not, um, I would say is irrelevant because it's it's the importance it has as an identity for uh, local Christians in, in the land of Jesus's birth. And Protestant travellers uh, would often uh, they would often be in Jerusalem at the time. Um, springtime was the most popular time for travel. Um, it was seen as having the best weather and the landscape was at its best at that time. So they would often be in Palestine at that time, be in Jerusalem at that time. Um, they would very frequently go to the Holy Sepulchre, the church, uh, to watch the ceremonies, but they would not engage. Um, they would go to... Often the upper galleries of the church where you can look down on on the ceremony from above um, and they would uh, kind of sit there making their critical notes. Um, A very, uh, I think probably the most famous representation of this is uh, the painting by William Holman Hunt um, of uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre at Easter time the Pre-Raphaelite painter who uh, went to Palestine many times, even uh, built himself a house um, in, in Jerusalem. Um, and this painting just depicts total chaos, total anarchy. Um, there is no recognition of the spiritual values or the importance of the ceremony for those who who are participating in it it's just seen as um, a totally anarchic oriental, I I would say, um, to use the word that they themselves would have used, um, event. Uh, And they would have measured that against the Protestant church service, um, which was um, carried out in, uh, particularly in Christchurch, Jerusalem, which is the first protestant church in um, Jerusalem and in fact in the whole of the eastern Mediterranean uh, which was established um, under Muhammad Ali's rule first and then finally finished in the late 1840s the building of it Uh, and again it would be a very austere simple plain service um, as opposed to um, the quite elaborate and colourful Uh, and joyful rituals of of Easter um, in the amongst the Orthodox, the Catholic and all the other denominations. Um, But, yeah, Protestants absolutely look down on that. Um, And the uh, the written descriptions of the the ceremony are quite um, I mean, they're quite stunning in the way they compare it to, you know, pagan festivals, fire worship, riots. Uh, you know everything you can imagine um, uh, in in these texts, with no no hint of the spiritual values of the event,
0: which led me to ask you a question. You you, you really use a very strong expression here, saying that evangelicals did not recognize the spiritual value of essentially the Greek Orthodox, but we can say also the Catholics, the Ethiopians, all of the yeah. more traditional Christian denominations. What about the people? How did they relate uh, to uh, local Palestinians, whether Jerusalemites or even, you know, in the villages, Bethlehem, Nazareth, and uh, so forth? Mm. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
1: Um, wow, that's uh, I mean, I, th- I would say that there were definitely a range of, um, uh, of, of reactions and um, opinions. I mean, I think the first point uh, is to say that they really travelers really gained very little insight um, into people's lives. Uh, most travelers would uh, turn up at, in Jerusalem. They might uh, stay in towards the later 19th century. There were hotels in Jerusalem, so that you know they might stay in in a hotel. Um, earlier on in the century, uh, they might stay with missionaries uh, in in missionary houses. Um, they would often prefer to stay in the Muslim quarter, actually, um, and some missionaries had houses in the Muslim quarter rather than than in the Christian quarters and. There's a kind of sense that they were uh, more drawn to uh, Muslim residents of, of Jerusalem and Palestine in general, rather than Christians. Christians. Um, but yeah, they, they would gain very little insight into um, most people's lives. Uh, they would travel through the landscape, uh, stopping an hour or two at a village. And, and often the people of the villages were very uh, hospitable and welcoming. And there's many accounts of... Um, Palestinians sharing their food and water or or even offering travelers to stay in their own homes, you know, quite touching um details. Uh, but most of the travelers came with a very orientalist mindset and um they didn't really recognize their uh humanity in people, let alone uh, Christianity amongst Christians. They didn't recognize a full humanity um in the Palestinians that they encountered, um, of any of any faith. Uh, Towards Christians in particular, there was a kind of um, aversion quite often, which is quite surprising um, because you wouldn't normally expect that. uh, I mean, particularly from uh, the way Saeed frames the question in in Orientalism, which is, of course, uh, a wonderful book and the kind of theoretical basis for for much of what I've written um, in that. Orientalism is mainly about Islam and this kind of clash between uh, an Enlightenment uh, West and the Islamic world. Um, But very often it was it was with the uh, Eastern Christianity that uh, travelers in, in Palestine clashed, I think, because they still viewed and imagined Palestine as the Christian Holy Land and that's what they wanted it to be. And when they found that Christianity itself in the Holy Land, indigenous Christianity, was so far from the kind of beliefs that they themselves had, it was shocking and disturbing for them.
0: We are going to take a short break. Thank you for listening. And remember to join our Facebook page, Twitter and Instagram account. If you have a story about Jerusalem that you want to share or someone that you want me to interview. Please get in touch. Enjoy the rest of the show. I want to ask you something about the legacy of, of this uh, way of thinking, because I had the impression that uh, eventually Christian Palestinians, but also Palestinian Christianity, regardless of a denomination, somehow has suffered. Uh, throughout the last century or so because of this kind of vision. I mean, I I noticed that uh, uh, essentially Palestinian Christianity has changed um, and has become also very defensive in a way. So I was wondering your view about uh, the long-term legacy of this evangelical thinking over uh, Palestinian Christians, but also in general uh, about, you know, um, sort of Christianity in Palestine.
1: Yeah, um, I think it definitely carries over into um, the British mandate period um, and then subsequently, because um, towards the end of the 19th century, um, some travellers, I mean, British travellers, they really expected um, that uh, Britain would eventually occupy Palestine. Um, you know, even decades before uh, 1917 and, and all the First World War and, and all of that and the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, uh, it was expected um, amongst travellers that, uh, you know, Palestine would one day fall under British control um, and also that Britain would um, help the, the Jew- what they called the Jewish restoration um, what they saw as the return of the Jewish people to Palestine. So these were um ideas that were very extremely common throughout the nineteenth century. But towards the end of end of the Ottoman rule, there was um a kind of awareness of the uh, particularly the education systems, um and the fact that uh, Palestinian Christians at that time, Um, were beginning to form a kind of intelligentsia class um, in Palestine. And obviously uh, there were Muslims um, who were also part of that class, Um, but particularly through the education in schools that were uh, under French control or under Russian control, um, and of these uh, rival powers and these rival churches to uh, the Anglican church that Palestinian Christians were becoming to become quite, quite powerful as a community, um, I think, and the potential to uh, form a, a quite powerful community, which is what happened during the mandate period, and many prominent uh, nationalist leaders, uh, and even subsequently, uh, particularly on the political left in Palestine, um, some of the most prominent figures have been uh, Palestinian Christians. You know, a, a partly as a result of this legacy of, of education and um, a kind of slightly privileged position that Palestinian Christians had to begin with. So there was this aversion, um, a suspicion of uh, Christians from uh, the British authorities, um, and they didn't give uh, Palestinian Christians representation in the way that they gave uh, the Muslim community during the mandate period so, I, I really think that uh, Palestinian Christians didn't really fit in their conception of of what Palestine was because they didn't recognize that form of Christianity. Um, they viewed um, Arabs and uh, Muslims as as synonymous um and counterposed those against the jews who who were to form the kind of european um educated and uh, ruling sector of society under that um, Zionist outlook that those officials had. And Christians didn't really fit in that into that, um, that mind frame. So during the 19th century, there was a creeping suspicion of Palestinian Christians that really uh, expanded during the Mandate period, I would say.
0: I want to ask you something about your general work and contextualizing with the work of others uh Eitan by yourself lorenzo camel uh tangentially also with sam nassar about photography all of your works focus on this idea of british representation of palestine and of jerusalem the two are together but also uh, i noticed that there are people working specifically on on palestine but also evangelicals who are mainly focusing on the city of Jerusalem as the site of uh, where Jesus lived and died and obviously, you know, making it the very focus of their work and attention. Why Britain? I mean, I know France, I know Germany, Spain, and to an extent, other countries had an interest in the Holy Land, had an interest in Jerusalem, but why Britain? Why Britain became so attached to the Holy Land?
1: I think it it goes back to um, as I mentioned earlier um, with that uh, the kind of Protestant um, the Protestant the element in it of that kind of uh, Hebraic um, obsession um, obsession with uh, the Jewish people obsession with biblical prophecy, uh, which did not exist in the same way amongst um, the denominations of, of other powers. Um, I mean for example, um, with the the kind of system of consular protection that existed in Palestine in the 19th century, uh, France assumed control over Catholic Christians, Russia assumed control over Orthodox Christians, there was not a Protestant community that uh, Britain could, uh, or I mean an extremely small one made up of, of a few converts, um, which, you know, amounted to kind of a few hundred people um, rather than a, than a sizable community. Um, so they really um, kind of devoted their efforts to uh, the Jewish population in Palestine. That gave them a standpoint and, and a kind of belief about the future of Palestine and what Britain's role would be when that uh, forecasted occupation actually occurred, uh, which, which put it aside from the other powers of course there was um there was an imperial struggle over palestine uh, and and a belief amongst all the powers that uh, they would carve up um the eastern mediterranean region as happened in the Sykes-Picot agreement eventually um but it was britain's uh belief about the jewish restoration and the fact that it would be protestant britain that would lead the jews to palestine to uh, that, that put it um, at the forefront um, and I, I think for the same reasons really um, we've seen American evangelicals far far overtake Britain um, in this kind of ideology and we associate these views with uh, uh, evangelicals in America because those are the very same ideas that were imported through uh, the settler colonization of America back in the 17th century um it really comes from the british source it really comes from the british source and uh, i do also i discuss in uh, in the paper as well um edward robinson who uh, is a very very important figure for um attracting protestant attentions to uh, palestine after he visited for the first time in 1838 um so it was um americans uh, and british but uh British travelers certainly led the way in this uh, idea about uh, Palestine's colonization.
0: And I really want to ask you a chicken and egg question in a sense that uh, obviously Britain then became the colonial power who ruled uh, Palestine and obviously making Jerusalem and together with Haifa, basically the, the, you know, the economic and the political and also some sort of a moral center of uh, British rule uh, of, of Palestine. So, the chicken and egg question is that was it first religion, which then translated into a colonial project, or colonial projects were there before, and eventually religion built up on on you know on that?
1: I would say that there was definitely a change. Um, and uh, there was a shift from one to the other. Uh, I think uh, in the first um roughly, uh, let's say four decades um, of the 19th century there was uh, this belief in in the return of the jewish people to palestine and their conversion to christianity Um, and this was um, undertaken in jerusalem by um, the uh, a missionary organization called the london jews society uh, which existed to uh, attempt to convert the jewish people to protestantism Uh, which was based in London and was part of the Anglican Church. Um, When it became clear that 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 was never going to happen, um, um, there were only a handful of Jewish converts to Christianity, it it changed um, and uh, it became more about the colonisation efforts. Um, And by the later 19th century, um, there's figures such as uh, one very important figure who um, I look at in my work is Lawrence Oliphant, um, who is, is well known as a proto-Zionist figure, and uh, in the 1880s um, devised a, um, a colonization scheme. And he actually um, originally located that in present-day Jordan, uh, on the east of the Jordan River, because he recognized initially that uh, Palestine was quite densely populated and there would not be an area where you could have a large-scale Jewish um, agricultural uh, Activity because of the Palestinian fellahin owned owned the land and already farmed the land in Palestine. But uh, when he devised that plan, he was quite careful to say, "This is not about religion. This is uh, this is about use of the land. This is about um, uh, about uh, securing Palestine against uh, Russian ambitions by having a kind of large." population who would be friendly to Britain supportive of British rule and uh, yeah so kind of by by the last few decades of the 19th century the religious aspect is is replaced by um, other other aspects um, that are more to do with um, settler colonialism in its other forms um, the the justifications for settler colonization in America in Australia in Canada um, also be, begin to be applied to Palestine, uh, in a way that wasn't solely dependent on the religious issue, but that became attractive for evangelicals because it harmonized with the, the religious ideas. Um, so that they always remained in the background.
0: I have a time for a couple more questions and one, it's kind of like a spin off of what you were just talking about, thinking about current events. When we look at uh, Palestine, Jerusalem in particular, and we see uh, settler colonialism working, but this time led by, let me say, Israeli or Jewish communities. I mean, it, it's always complicated here to use the terms. Uh, but certainly, there are forms of Israeli uh, settler colonialism. And I was wondering to what extent and if any there was an influence from this these ideas of evangelical settler colonialism. Moving into a uh, uh, you know, sort of first Zionism and Zionist ideology, which then translated into a uh, uh, you know, sort of Israeli settler colonialism.
1: I mean, for sure, and uh, it's actually uh, possible to identify um, the the influence uh, because some of these travelers, um, like Lawrence Solifant uh, like um. Uh, Claude Conda from the Palestine Exploration Fund. They ended up by giving quite concrete support to uh, the early Zionists um, in the 19th century and in, in the late 19th century um, by giving speeches, by fundraising. Um, when Oliphant lived in Palestine, uh, he lived in Haifa and in a village nearby called uh, Daliat el-Karmal. Um, and he gave uh, you know quite concrete support to... Um, the Zionist uh, settlers who actually began arriving um, soon after he he went to Palestine for the first time. Uh, so there's definitely a concrete link um, between those early Zionists in the late 19th and early 20th centuries um, and the British um, uh, travelers. Um, more broadly, I mean, I'm often very struck by. Uh, reading the the accounts of these travelers and seeing to what extent they have been fulfilled, um, for example, um, again Oliphant uh, said, you know, he rec- the areas he recommended for settler colonization uh, in particular were the Golan Heights and uh, the Jordan Valley, um, both of these areas coming under control uh, um, of Israel in after 1967. And there's even there's there's a street named after Oliphant in one of the settlements in the Golden Heights. So the Israeli government, uh, they have um, repaid the kind of debt that they had to to some of these travelers. Um, and then, you know, in another sense, um, I, I always see what's happening now as the fruit of what's gone before. Um, and Zionism um, as an ideology uh, is never something that's been uniformly um, supported by the Jewish people, of course. And there's always been a, a huge amount of uh, debate within the Jewish community. Um, and uh, back in the 19th and, and the early th- early 20th century, uh, there was a huge debate and, and many Jews opposing Zionism then, as they still do now. So it's important to recognize that uh, this ideology is not... Uh, a Jewish creation, not solely a Jewish creation. Uh, It was also uh, greatly influenced by these um, uh, individuals from uh, the heart of empire, the British Empire. What the situation we see today is uh, the fruit of their work. I, I, I strongly believe that.
0: I have one last question and it's uh, very much about your future work. Um, so you are currently working on on a monograph, which will be published by IB Taurus in 2022. Palestine in the Victorian age. Can you tell us what we are going to read, uh, hopefully next year?
1: Yes, uh, I would love to. So, um, it's, uh, if people are able to, uh, read my article in, in Jerusalem quarterly, um, then uh, they'll find, and, and they enjoy it, they'll find much to enjoy in my book, um, I hope. And um, a lot of what we've been talking about will, will feature in there. But there's also some, uh, you know, some further details. Um, I, I do some uh, more research um, about uh, a, a farm in Jerusalem called Kerem Afraham, which was um, established by the consul, uh, the British consul, James Finn. Um, it's now it's a neighborhood in West Jerusalem now called Kiram Avraham, but uh, it was originally a settler colonial farm um, for Jews established by the, the British consul. Um, I look at the Samaritan community uh, in Nablus and how travelers related to them um, and just uh, uh, many more issues uh, from this period. Um, and I've tried to... Uh, pick some topics which are just uh, unknown and uh, issues that I'd, I've never read about in, in research and are kind of things that I stumbled across also from looking through old newspapers and uh, journals and all sorts of uh, source material as well as these travel books uh, there's this huge un- relatively untapped um, font of orientalist uh, writing on Palestine and as i say most of it is is quite similar and uh, you obviously have to be very careful of it uh, you you can't use it as a primary source material for understanding palestine's social history at the time but uh, it does give a fascinating window into into the relationships between the west and and palestine the palestinian people at this time so Please uh, read my article if you can and uh, if you enjoy it, then my book
0: will um, will hopefully be uh, satisfying. This was uh, Gabriel Polly, recently graduating from the University of Exeter with a PhD under the supervision of Ilan Pape, And more importantly, the uh, award winner of a Dhaka award-winning essay by the Jerusalem Quarterly with an article, Jerusalem Through Evangelical Eyes, 19th century Western encounters with Palestinian Christianity. And as we just heard, uh, working on a monograph, which we'll all enjoy next year. Gabriel, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Jerusalem Unplanted. This podcast is currently commercial free. There are no ads. The only possibility to stay this way is for you to please Let your friends, your family, and others who may be interested in listening to Jerusalem Unplugged know about this podcast. Let's increase the audience and let's keep the podcast commercial. Thank you for listening. Until the next one.